Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Boise Barland. Here we are again. And who cares? Who cares about ageism, human rights? Who cares about all this stuff? We do. We do, Maury. We do. <laughs> do you reckon we do? Because oh, I reckon we do. But what about Andrew Burns? Andrew um, Burns. It was a great interview. What did you take from it? What stood out to you? Because, I, I, you know, all of it stood out to me. So but what what did you take away from it? Well, there was a myriad of things. And, and I know that this is a special area for you. But I guess, so for, for those, that, for our listeners out there, we are talking about the recent interview uh, that Ash did with Andrew Burns, who is uh, working on um, human rights and uh, is doing a lot of work. And I believe, Daniela, that that was a suggestion from your end uh, because you were very interested in his work. So, yeah, absolutely. If you if we're going to talk about human rights, it's, I think I just thought it would be helpful to hear and ask questions from someone who has made it their life's work, especially and, wow. the links to the UN and stuff. I um, this there is so much about what he said. I, there, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff, but there was a great point that I thought Ash made, and maybe we'll start here. That he said when looking at Australia's track record of engagement <laughs> with other agreements. Uh, you know, what's to say <laughs> that having an international agreement will translate into action in Australia? And those words rung loud and clear to me because he talked about a number of things. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, because this is an area that you are strong in, is so what about an agreement? How, how does that impact stuff? Well, it already has impacted those areas because we have a way to frame those violations. We have a language to speak and we have something that people united, people in all area, all, all regions of Australia when they uh, think Ash brought up refugees um, or, or uh, women, we have something to point to to say, hey, this is out, this is bigger than Australia. This is something that all humans should be able to um, experience and so even when people are fighting in tiny parts of Australia or in the big cities they're using the same language and the same um, criteria to judge things by it's not just an individual saying I want my right to come to Australia or I, I want my right for that it's it's being claimed as something that Australia has agreed to so obviously we're not going to be taken to some kind of international court for, for some of those things, but we certainly can be held account to account for yeah. them. And and certainly <laughs> I think right now we the account there's an account deficit really with after the Royal Commission and which which he uh, he talked about. Um but there's there is a deficit. But what following from your beautiful point is I really like that he talked about the process of drafting can often generate the change, which is what you're, which is what you're suggesting as well. And and I have to say that as I've thought more about two things, human yeah. rights uh, in aged care, and as I've thought about um, it being looked at as a disability, an acquired disability, or a disability, um, that those two things have really stood out to me since I've you know been really active um, in advocacy and. I think that those words, you know, you say words make worlds, which I totally agree with, and you often 
really get me thinking on that. But I think this process of drafting is really important. But do you, how much do you think, you know, our, our families and our care teams are thinking about human rights for their loved ones? Like, do you think they think about this much? No, I think that what Andrew said about how everything at the moment about, um, and we'll look specifically at aged care. So aged care, I mean, that's where the focus was of the conversation too. Um, Everything at the moment is so under the umbrella of health. So that in terms, it limits our possibilities to see beyond that. And um, I think that the benevolence that um that that kind of the 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 idea of we we've got to look after these people and because they're vulnerable and and when you just look at people in the context of one right um it's a misunderstanding of of how we live our lives i mean i don't think people are going to think right i'd better not do this to that older person because of human rights i don't think they sit in a room and when they offer someone a shower. But I think the language of rights is around seeing every single human being as a human being. And these rights are interdependent and interrelated. So the right to health is important, but so is the right to autonomy. Mm. So is the right to be, exist, to have the liberty required. And to have autonomy within our really close relationships so that our family and carers, so that we enter into those relationships as equals. Because you yes. can't be citizens if you're unequal. No, no. And it's everything. I mean, for me, you know, in my work, everything is about finding engagement or connection on equal terms. It's not about me dictating those terms. I mean, obviously, I spark. I throw the spark in. I'm the one throwing the grenade in to, to get something to happen. But it's about those equal terms, and that's what that's what I really like about what you said. But but I'm I'm wondering that when someone, for example, doesn't have no longer has capacity to make what we say are safe decisions, how do we how do we how does human rights mesh with that? Like that's that's the question, I guess people often say to me is like well what about if someone doesn't have capacity like how how can you give them autonomy what do you what do you say to that Uh, first I would ask what you mean by capacity okay they're talking about capacity to make decisions um you know in terms of cognitive decline a changing brain where they are deemed no longer able to make safe decisions so they might want to go outside and go walk into the shop for example and they may be somebody that has a, a mobility scooter that has been seen on the road and doing dangerous things, not real, not not having insight into the danger they put themselves into. Mm-hmm. So, so how do we what, operate there? Sure. So my first question would be to bring it back to the snowboarders, as I think we've done in the past. <laughs> so no, no, really. Um. So now you're relying on medicine uh-huh. to determine whether a person has the most universal and basic right to autonomy. So now Mm. you're relying on medicine to determine who has personhood and who doesn't, yeah? And that that brings morality into the question because um, in terms of capacity, what what human rights has to offer, the the, um, Convention on Rights for Persons with Disabilities um, demands, Article 12 demands, equal recognition before the law, which mm-hmm. means recognition of people's personhood. So it's terrible they have to even say that. 
but for some, <laughs> yeah, no, but really, no, for I some people who with disabilities and women as well. So women um, have been excluded from that in the past and, and thankfully they're now seen as, as full moral and legal persons. But, you know, we had um, African-Americans in, in the US um, under their constitution were worth 0.5 of a person or yeah. maybe it's 0.25 mm. so there were you know medically diagnosed these these were supported by medicine this was supported by medicine and and understanding what happened in world war Two with a whole group of people who were considered less than fully human we know what happens that's how mm. the declaration of human rights came about because people were experimenting on other humans yeah so I, I know that sounds all drastic, but really it's about saying that, um, that, that Article 12 says that every single person has legal capacity. It's a universal trait in human beings. We all have the capacity to express our desires and wills and preferences. But just as with a wheelchair ramp, there are obviously decision-making ability varies between humans. Some people are better at it. Some people have more skill. So Article 12 looks at it as an accessibility issue in terms of people having the right to the support they, you know, to access to the support they may require in having their will and preferences interpreted and carried out. So this, it looks at capacity in, in two lumps. One, it looks at recognition of it. And two, um, the support people may require, so legal personhood and legal agency, and it, no one can be determined. And it, it 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 says that people have an equal right to decision making, um, on on an equal basis. And discrimination means not denying people decision making based on their decision making ability. Right. Every single human being has capacity to express what they want and don't want now in this moment. And of course, and there's amazing work around that support going on at the moment. People like Joanne Watson has done amazing work internationally on working out um, the will and preferences of people with profound intellectual disability who no longer use words, who live in institutions, and, and how we do not exclude anyone from the moral or legal community and that's that's how um human rights play out in terms of capacity that's we don't yeah it's it unlinks mental capacity with legal capacity mm -hmm. I, I i just wanted to go back because i like that term because i you know for years i've been using following the term capacity and so if you said decision making ability is that what mm. you yeah that's it's that's a it really varies good for term. all of us. Mm. Do you know what? And the, and and the, the studies in neuroscience are showing that pretty rarely we we think of a decision and then weigh up the pros and cons and then you know it, it you know it looks at people making pretty bad decisions. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, that uh, they don't sit and and really rationally think about. And of course, none of us are free from our context. And our relationships and our responsibilities and, and, and just saying that there's this independent person that sits outside of culture and, and, and they, they just sit there and weigh everything up. You know, I mean, that's pretty, that's a nonsense. And, and neuroscience <laughs> is beginning to show that. I'll be down for one of those nonsense awards in some of my decision making. <laughs> 
so for people that are working in in aged care and and community uh, as, as residential and community, what for them when they see someone they feel doesn't have that decision making ability, how do they respond if they see something that they are concerned about, like maybe it's a dangerous situation? How would they respond whilst maintaining human rights? Do you think? So you mean in an you're talking about what justifies another human being overriding someone's expressed I preference? Guess, yeah, I guess I am, and and like what you know, like yeah, and I I guess I I've always thought it comes down to intention, but I'm starting to question that now, you know. So I always felt that like your if your intention is pure and it's not about quelling and stopping the behaviour. But to get to the root cause, like an unmet need, for example, right? That's the way we should be looking. But, you know, you still might be leading, trying to, you know, the what's the divert? You know, that's the word, isn't it, that people use. Divert someone from that want to something that's a safer want. Is that okay? Um, look, I, th- I think what you said about in- the intention of the carer, that's all well and good and they may their intentions may be really caring. Mm. Um but it's not really about that, is it? It's about whether the citizen themselves experiences that as helpful. Ah, so if the citizen experiences it as helpful, then we're yeah. on the right path. I, I mean, you, you may be like, for instance, if it was just you and I, I may, um, I may think, oh, you know what? I'm going to hide all Maury's bottles of wine because it's much healthier. We we all know it's healthier not to drink. <laughs> That's a bad and, decision. <laughs> and um, and but but my motives are right. I care about you, you know. Yeah. Um, so you, even though my motives are really even virtuous, you're not experiencing that as as in any way reflective of what good looks like for you of what your right your desires and your preferences and 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 the very act of me thinking (laughs) just negating the idea that you have the have the right to determine your own good your own you know your own life path is just negating you as a person and you know and and it really skews our relationship if i think i have the right to do that yeah yeah, yeah don't no you way. touch my wife for those for our <laughs> listeners just for our listeners who couldn't know this that i love a claire valley shiraz if you're looking for a present for me <laughs> 14th of february is my birthday give it to me not to daniela because she's going to hide it <laughs> i'm not really i wouldn't do that to another citizen that's creepy as andrew said it's all of a sudden we talk about them only mm. in this context and there's a whole lot of things that are possible that shouldn't be possible. So my answer to your question is twofold. People need um, – Article 12 says that people require support to exercise their legal agency. So one of those things might be having access to their own funds in order to hire a carer to help them go outside because that may be the only block. Or um, we're not asking questions like, oh, how do we support that person so that we're not overriding their rights. Mm. But at least when we're talking about it, we're putting it in that we're privileging them and 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 helping them meet their desires. And it's 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 a totally different way of looking at it. But I would say, as I've said before, that there's that I agree that there's a universal call on each of us. If I saw someone about to run into traffic, I would run and stop them. So I would say that the threshold 
for um, getting involved at all is a, a, a severe and immediate risk to the safety of that human or anyone else. Yeah. Wow. Um, so moving on from your brilliant answer there, then no. I was drawn to, and please don't hide my wine, um, I was drawn <laughs> to uh, Andrew's to talk about human rights for the carers as well because he's talking about human mm. rights for individuals, right? I mean, I know his focus is on older, uh, our older p- persons, but, but he's really talking about human rights and he mentions everyone. Uh, what did you think about his take on rights for carers, you know, for a safe environment, a, a consistent environment, yeah, an environment that has a, a fair degree of work and employment that is stable? Yeah, I, 100%. I loved that, of course, mm. and the way that he tied that to um, older people. It, I mean, very much what he was saying draws the threads from, I think, every one of your and my conversations. So first and foremost, you asked about what, you know, what carers can do in the real world. And and I would say that that requires exactly what we've spoken about in our interactions in terms of meeting another person without judgment. So not judging them as less, as, as less human beings or judging their decisions or not negating um, them as decision makers in their own lives, that that's what you do in your work in terms of, I mean, that's the that's what curiosity means, isn't it? If you're mm-hmm. curious, you're meeting someone yeah. with a spirit of not judgmental. You're not saying, well, this person's got dementia and they've been called this and they've been labelled this, which makes recognising their humanity pretty impossible. So that all, the human rights in those interactions makes real sense and for workers not only taking of course they need to you and I fight for their right to be paid correctly for their right to be treated as um, with with the kind of respect that other people say they give to them but there's also the psychic harm the system is currently requiring and rewarding carers to override preferences of residents because there aren't enough staff to overwrite to wrench people out of yeah, bed because right. breakfast is available for an hour so so it's interesting you say that because i don't judge people i don't care whether their brain has changed or remained or is in transit i don't care that's irrelevant to me and i might look at the the clinical diagnosis just to see what i might be up against or how i might do stuff like so if it's alzheimer's i'll know okay it's probably going to be some memory related issues so i'll i'll, I'll be aware of, of how i interact with that mm-hmm. or you know vascular like you know i come in and all of a sudden someone has a new baseline or a personality change with frontotemporal dementia so i look at that but that's a guide it's not it doesn't inform how I interact. You know, I'm looking for that spark. I'm looking for the human being inside there. And so we need to do that then, I guess, is what you're saying, when people make or want to make decisions that we think maybe aren't in their best interest, yeah? Um, yeah, and and even now, I mean, judging a person's decision-making ability by the um, – by by other people's opinion about whether it's a sensible decision is not on anyway, mm. you know. So 
it would be, I think the advocacy in this space is around claiming rights. And I think this is fantastic for individuals, for workers, um, when they are advocating amongst their colleagues and things to frame what other people maybe even pathologize or, um, to claim these things in, in relation to rights. So if I'm told I have to drag someone out of bed and get them to breakfast, like rather than saying, or, oh, you know, that such and such doesn't want to, which puts all the things on this one person who's who's got a preference to, it's actually not okay on a human rights level to do this. It says this dignity does not exist. And dignity is the underpinning, you know, mm. um, reason for human rights. Digni well, dignity. I, I, you know, I kind of thinking about that. I don't even know how to describe it, Daniela. I just... It's like music, you know, it should be part of your life without question. And it seems so when I think about people being, if when I think about a former shift worker who used to work at night and likes to wake up at 10 in the morning, getting dragged out of bed at 6 to make the breakfast, it does, that does give me goosebumps and shudders. It doesn't make me mm. feel good. But, but Ken, so how, how does the workforce operate at the moment, given what you've said about the system and it doesn't have time and it doesn't have the staff and people are breaching, you know, um, I guess, human rights and dignity? How, how, what does the, how does the workforce manage now? Is the transition necessary first or do we need to get dignity and human rights in there now? I think that um, a lot of us are already operating as um, as resistance workers, I think. Um, <laughs> resistance workers? Yeah, I do. And I think that the system will always be big. And it's not a battle that's ever going to be finished. It's a continuing. It, mm -hmm. In fact, the claiming of those rights is, is, where, is where human rights happen. You know, I think um, the, the human rights aren't, bestowed on people it's not like citizenship in terms of you know who Australian decides to let in and let in and, and let not Hu everyone has human rights by nature of their being human but it's like dignity Mori I think that each of us has you know dignity is a feeling not something someone bestows so oh, for some that's people what, that's, yeah that's what I was trying to get at thank you yes dignity is a feeling let me write so that down. we have to be totally sensitized to what people are, are, are claiming and as advocates help them claim it in relation to human rights, not as, you know, this is an individual consumer want, so that we don't impose what we think is dignified on other people. I mean, it's like us going into countries and, and saying, oh, those women are running around topless, we better dress them so they have dignity. It's like that's someone's opinion of what dignity is. So that's culturally and historically mediated. So it's finding out from that individual. And a really good way to find that out is to look and notice what they're, they're, they themselves are claiming and protesting against. I mean, if someone, imagine the humiliation of having a dessert pulled away from you in public and no, 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 you can't have that and then getting angry about it. That's a, a clear claim from someone saying, you can't treat me that way. I'm a grown woman. Mm. You can't s snatch dessert away from me. So it's really noticing what individuals themselves are claiming because everyone is, has dignity. But in terms of how that operates in practice, it will be different for each of us. Danielle, I was going to ask about ageism. 
every age counts and nothing about us without us. Did you have something else that you thought was really important that you wanted that we haven't covered? Uh, no, I I just think the the I, though the actual interview was amazing, and I think it's important. Yes, people when they want to get involved, every age counts is great, and to look at. Um, at what Andrew was um, pointing to in terms of the Human Rights Institute at the University of New South Wales um, and also to look at more grassroots movements such as the United, United Workers' Union here in Australia. And for older people themselves, they've got a group called Grey Panthers because as mm-hmm. – as um, which is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, I love we've that got name. groups like OPAN, but they're not run by older people no. or grassroots yeah, yeah. movements. I love they're OPAN, funded by yeah. government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we, we've nothing about us without us. When the CRPD was drafted, it was drafted by people themselves, people who had run. When it talks about um, groups representing um, people with disabilities, it didn't mean government-funded ones. It meant actual grassroots organisations run by people themselves. Well, hang on. The governments the governments have shown with their, the advances in aged care and what different they, <laughs> they would do. Come on, you. You've been hard, aren't you? <laughs> no, this has to come from grassroots. <laughs> well, I'm going to go now and do some homework that you set for me to look up at <laughs> all of those. Hey, so good to talk. And I know, I know how close this subject is to your heart, so it's so good to talk to you about it and ask you questions because I've been trying to get my head around it. And thanks. Thanks heaps. Um, and when do you want my homework in Monday yes. morning? Yeah, uh, Monday morning would be fantastic. And will you give me back my wine if I get it in? <laughs> I wouldn't even dream of doing that to another citizen. I think it's time to go. I do too. Thank you so much for um, a fantastic conversation. That's and cool. To- and to this podcast for um, having people like Andrew Burns on. Yeah, he here. Here's to, here's to Ace and the team. And for Ace, Ace, uh, Ace questions from Ash. Yeah. Ash is I, Ace. I think it's courageous and that's what human rights um, requires. <laughs> See you next week. See you next week.